Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right. It's Wood Talk number 327 for October 3rd, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about oil stones versus water stones, how to avoid mistakes related to rushing, and setting pricing expectations. And before we get to the good stuff there, let's talk about some of our special patrons, people that went to patreon.com slash woodtalk and decided to help us out with a recurring donation. You can actually cancel it after a month if you want to, but if you don't cancel it, it will it will go again. So just, you know, just to be warned there. Well, uh, don't cancel it. But don't cancel it. Yeah. You know why? You guys know why? Matt just told us before we started why. Because we're like two bucks away from the weekend show. What? So does that include, do we like take away the money that Shannon and I contribute to Wood Talk every month? That is a fair question. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about that, but that's a good point. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so So maybe we're The actual goal is $1,002. It's (laughs) $1,000. I think it's three, right? Or did you both drop down to the $1 level? I've always been one. Shannon is the one with all the money. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, because I I ponied up for two, but then you yelled at me, Mark, and told me to change it to one. Yeah. You were worried that I would give Matt a complex. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, it was twice as much as his donation. I mean, come on. It's true. It's true. (laughs) All right. Well, let's uh, let's thank a few folks. Got all that VP of marketing money, you know. There you go. Uh, Let's. Let's thank the important and uh, very awesome people who helped us out. Andrew Thoralf Weigus. I'm going to be, this is going to be a bad one. Uh, Kevin Vandergriff, Matt Williams, Greg Sherman, Chris Salomoni, Chuck Curtis, John Kleist, Martin Robitaille, David Knapp, Justin Capagna, Jesper Thorson, Tim Hayden, Mark Burnell, Daniel Bartz, Jason Coggle, Jacob Burkhalter, Tobias Sawyer, Mark Krishner, Keith Bergmoser, Jared Kip, no one has normal names, and I'm I'm one of you. I understand. I don't know. It's like you hit your head or something today. It might. I, well, I did hit my head. Let's talk about that a little later. Uh, George Pagli, Paglarulo, Toby Mullen, and Steve Shin. Thank you so much, folks. And if you want to help out too, have your name read at the beginning of the show. Just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk. You sign up, you get some cool goodies, you help us reach some future goals. And uh, I think we're hitting all of our goals, so we need to add some more. Don't know what those are going to be. Um, quick technical note. I have moved some files around for the Wood Talk show. So the archive, sometimes we need to move them for various reasons that we won't go into. When I do that and I change the file, it shows up as a new RSS feed item. So what I would suggest you do, because I don't want to hear about it when I do this change, and I'm holding off because I want to warn you about it. If your RSS reader or podcatcher or app is set to download any new episode, it will download all of the episodes or a lot of them that I change the file, uh, the, the actual file source to. So if you can... Go into your settings, change it ahead of time to only download the last one or the last two newest shows, whatever you want. Most of these um, feed catchers sort of have that uh, feature there that you can make that setting something that prevents the whole catalog from downloading. All right, so within a few days, I'll give you some notice here. I'll give a a couple of days, but probably later this week, I'll start changing those files, and I don't want to hear it because you've been warned. Unless, you know, (laughs) you didn't hear this, then my apologies, but we got to do what we got to do. It's either that or we don't have an archive is what this comes down to. So things have to change. Uh, Okay, so let's get into what's on the bench. And for me, I am uh, really plugging away here on this grandfather clock because time is not my friend right now. Neither are screen doors, as uh, Matt alluded to before. I did for the first time in my life, ran straight into a screen door 
And uh, here in Arizona, I guess maybe other places too, but it's, they seem very common here. We have those heavy metal security screen doors and it was just oh, at the pouch. Yeah. The, the <laughs> perfect like actual screen. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's the perfect, uh, the perfect side, like the angle. And I, it was early in the morning. I woke up at like four 30 and started working this morning cause I'm crazy. And I blame my child. And I, it was just at the right angle that I couldn't see it. And it was too dark. And I just ran like head first into the side of the door, which was fantastic. So um, I'm trying to shake that off. <laughs> but uh, in spite of that, I was still able to get a lot of progress on the clock. I've actually got the sides together. I did all my through tenons today, and those turned out uh, pretty nicely. And um, just I've got a very limited amount of time before we move. We close on this house uh, a week from Wednesday. So I got to get this project moving and uh, otherwise like I'm not going to be able to help pack. That's going to be a problem. So, uh, so there's that. And I guess the only other sort of domestic, not, not exactly woodworking related, but the, the new house that we're hoping to move into uh, is, is has a little bit of a power issue. We had the inspection done and we were told that it's some of the circuits are a little over amped and they're kind of concerned about the total, the total capacity of the home in terms of power. And that's just as like people who are moving in to live in the house. If you start talking about, Oh, can I add a sub panel in the garage? (laughs) You start to think, okay, well, if it's already overstressed right now, what are our chances of being able to do this? So now we're going down the path of, uh, you know, is it possible to increase the, you know, maybe if it's a 200 amp service, can we get it 400 amp and then run a sub or can I get a second service directly to the garage? I don't, these are answers I don't have at this point, but hopefully we'll resolve them because if we don't resolve them, then we can not move into this house. <laughs> like I need to be able to have extra power in that shop. <laughs> so whatever, you know, well, whatever. some of us get away with it. Uh, I don't know. I still believe you have that second shop behind your hand tool shop, <laughs> Shannon. I don't Wouldn't buy Wouldn't that it. be cool, though? Yeah, you just you, you uh, like push a button on a bookcase, and it just opens up a secret door. Oh, I've got a Shakespearean bust on my, and I flip it there open. You go. and I Pull its head down. And there's a pair of poles in the back. One says Shannon, one says Kenny on it. We <laughs> slide <you> down. <laughs> we come out the other end, like in, in our costumes and there everything. Yeah, I, that, that is what I choose to believe. Yeah. So that's about it for me. Um, Matt, what you got going on? Mark, um, I had an interesting week. I was planning on working on the sawmill most of last week. So I went to the steel yard on Wednesday to pick up my steel beam. That's going to become the, the beam that connects the, uh, the, the, the wheels of the sawmill or the bandsaw, whatever. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the stock or the size I needed, Ugh. which was what? just crazy. Cause it's a giant yard. They're like, Oh yeah, we have, I was going for a five by five. They're like, yeah, we have a few here. And the longest one they had was like 10 foot six, I think. Mm-hmm. And like the bare minimum I need is 11 feet for that, for that, that cut width or whatever. Mm. So I was like, well, that goes that week for that thing. So I'm like, so I spent the last, what, three days of that week of last week working on Apple presses or one Apple press with all <laughs> the little accessories, which is kind of nice because I was in the shop actually working with wood and that was pretty cool i haven't done that for i haven't done enough of that that's in novel. the last couple of months so yeah, that was nice what a nice what a nice change of pace oh so, it so was it was crazy tell us about this apple press and it's a very seasonal thing for you to do apparently well it's, the funny thing about the apple press is this is why i don't like ever like take commission work because it takes me so long to get to it this is from like march or february i think okay so someone approached me to make apple apple presses 
as like a um I guess a source of revenue. And back then, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't really know what I'm gonna be doing. I don't know how well like the stuff with the guild's gonna go. So it'd be nice to have as, as an additional source of income if I need it. Well, like everything else, stuff gets in the way. <laughs> I don't get to it. And now it's like prime pressing season. I'm like, oh great. Probably gotta get this going because uh you kind of gonna need these soon. <laughs> right. So uh, so I guess the timing worked out really well. So I've been kind of just working through it now. When I first um so the, there's like the press and then there's all the accessories that go with the press. So when I first looked at this thing, I'm like, oh yeah, the press is gonna be super quick and the accessories are gonna be even quicker. Well, I had that like sort of backwards. The press was exactly what I thought it was, but the accessories is where all the time goes because there's just so much work and there's so many of them and it just it just takes so much time so i've been working on getting the the forms ready which are just like little frames that hold the apples together for the pressing and then the lattices which go between the forms and that allows those allow the juices to flow out as you're compressing the whole stack of apples and those lattices are like just quarter inch strips that are like crisscrossed over each other so i made a fun little jig slash press thing to actually glue those up and press them together and hold them all in alignment so they're nice and quarter-inch spacing mm-hmm. across every single strip. And then there's like 28 strips per lattice, 14 in each direction. And that's a lot of glue. And it's like, how many spots of glue is that? <laughs> a lot. I mean, quite a few. A lot. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a lot of gluing and uh, making the jig with all the little dowels in it to mm-hmm. keep everything aligned. While the glue is drying probably took me three or four hours to make that jig. Wow. That's crazy just for the jig. So Apple Press, not actually that familiar with it. What I mean, I'm looking right now. I'm familiar with the concept, I understand, but how it's actually made. So what, what is the um, pressing mechanism? Is it a screw that you're using or I see some Hydraulic using bottle like, jack. There you go. I was going to say I saw a bunch with hydraulic jacks. So well, Yeah, so like that. But it's basically, it's the same thing as like, um, like a veneer press that you would make for your shop. Yeah. Uh, I've seen those before, kind of exactly the same concept. This is a lot bigger. And the nice thing about the, having the press already built, I built one in um, April, I think. It was like a prototype. Mm-hmm. I have it there in the shop, so I actually use that to clamp up the lattices because I can actually use it as a press. Nice. So I can you can do all kinds of stuff. So if I want to do veneer work, I have a press. If I want to do some apple pressing, I can go do that or grapes or heads or you know, whatever. Nice. Heads. Press whatever you want. Heads. Heads. That a, he, the heads of his head enemies cheese. is what it is. <laughs> yeah, there we go. He's a Viking. <laughs> <laughs> See, but I want to know, how do you make an apple press without an apple press? You have to have the press in order to make the jig and the lattice, you know. A lot of clamps, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Stand on it. It's the old workbench conundrum. Without a workbench. Well, I didn't, I didn't even think about it until, like, I was, like, getting ready to, like, glue up the first one. I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? I got some... Um, some 45 pound weights that I use occasionally for clamping weird stuff. I'm like oh, I can use those, those up there, throw some clamps on it, no problem. Then I'm like, wait a second, I have a press. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome, though. So you guys go pick apples, or you have some apples on the property? No, it's like for some some guy that does. Oh, apple it's, it's stuff. not for you. That's right. You, you're making it for someone else. Yeah. Pay attention, Mark. Uh, you know, I'm new here. I'm learning. Well, I could. I guess I could go by pick apples and press them. Now I have the device. Do it, man. Uh, with it. I want to see it. You're going to make it. It's make, funny. I, there's a, there's a, like a fall harvest festival, the stepping stone museum every year. And they bring out the apple presses that we have, you know, we have this storage room at the museum, just full of stuff, mm. you know, plows and presses and treadle lathes. They have more treadle lathes than I do. 
And every year they I pull these, these presses. I know it's they only have one more than I do, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they pull the presses out. And it's so funny because it just it it smells so amazing while they're doing it. But we're not allowed to serve any of it. Really? <laughs> just like legal reasons? No, it's just food and like, it, you know, um, the regulations and stuff. And it's the same know. way at like Colonial Williamsburg. They're not allowed to serve any of the food they make in their kitchens because it's all made with like unpasteurized and and, you know, stuff that can. I don't know. Make you sick? I don't know. That's the good stuff. If you can get yeah. diarrhea from it, you know it's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm always jealous because then they have like an apple cider vendor like across the hall. And, it, and you look closely, you'll see like the little gallon jugs under the table <laughs> that just pouring it from. And it's like, wait a minute. They're pressing it right over here. I want that stuff. That kind of sucks. Yeah. that's lame oh cool that's an awesome project matt I, I i i'm i'm jealous i want to make one there are no apples here though so i have to go oh, someplace where i have to go buy a whole bunch of apples which is like i don't know <laughs> I, yeah i envision like you know the whole seasonal thing you go apple picking and, and like that's cool to me like going to the grocery store and buying a bag of apples to do this would not be as uh, as exciting well you know maybe in denver well, you know you and can go what, and uh, that's what chop down for. your own Christmas tree this year, Mark. So Ooh. Yeah, there you go. I know. that I'm excited about it now. Nicole won't do that. Needles everywhere. She'll be like, what's with the needles? And then she'll go put up the stupid uh, fake thing that we have with the lights that are already in it. Nice. It's pretty convenient, though. Uh, anyway, before we de- derail too much, Shannon, what's going on? Too late. <laughs> um, I was doing some uh, hinge installation work and um, just really, I don't know what the word you're looking for, just being thankful for good quality hinges. Um, so I was installing hinges on my blanket chest, but then I was also doing, um, uh, they're called apprentice sessions. They're these little videos I do for my apprentice group at the handle school. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of about the process of installing hinge. And I kept saying over and over again, the first thing you do to make hinge installation good is buy a good hinge. Boom. And I specifically used a, a bad hinge to, to kind of show the differences. And it's like, you don't even really think about it. Certainly like the, the consistent thicknesses of the, the leaves is nice and it makes it easier to, to cut out the mortises, but a good hinge, like when it's closed all the way, it actually sets the spacing. Like imagine you're hanging a door, you know, and if you recess the, the leaves of the hinge so that they're flush, yeah. so you mortise them in so that they're flush, there's actually a built in gap, you know, mm-hmm. it's usually like a 16th of an inch. So in order to get your spacing right on a door, all you got to do is set the hinge flush. And it, you don't even think about stuff like that. Try doing that on like a crappy hinge. Yeah. And it was, it was terrible. And the demonstration with the crappy hinge went so poorly <laughs> that I don't think I'm even going to include it. I think I'm just <laughs> going to say these are why these hinges are bad, you know, and maybe show like the 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 mortise that looks like a beaver went at it. But uh, yeah. man, you just – and yeah, they're expensive. There's no question. These hinges are expensive, but man, you know, you just sunk how many hours into this project and like, say it's a cabinet or it's a chest. If the lid doesn't open, <laughs> that's a problem. You yeah. know, if it's crooked when it comes down, if it causes the, the, the lock to bind or something like that, you might as well not even have made it. Who cares what the gaps in your dovetails are like, or no gaps in your <laughs> dovetails. If the lid doesn't close properly, you know, yeah. I mean, people will notice that. So, yeah, you know, anybody who complains about the cost of hinges, it's just amazing. And it, it, there's so many little things that make these hinges, like the fact that you can just rely upon that leaf being not only consistent thickness, but you can set a gauge to it and just set it, you know, right. because one hinge to the next is the same thickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a um, 
one of those little light bulb moments. I've known it for a while, but just kind of seeing it and then, and um, shall I say, lowering myself to get a poor quality hinge. Oh, and using it, that, with those, with those it just reminds hinges. me, you know, because the, the first thing you think of is the consistent thickness of the leaves, but you forget what that actually means to the actual mechanism itself and how yeah. that changes things. And some of like the pins aren't actually, they're not actually round. So when it opens, <laughs> the hinge actually opens in a bit of an arc. And it's like, oh, well, how yeah. do you even line that up? You know, right. I want to line it up so the center of rotation is right on the edge of my board. Well, if the center of rotation is different from one end of the hinge to the other, yeah. oh, it's just terrible. Well, and how many times do you have uh, the leaf itself, the length is not dead on from hinge yeah. to hinge. So if you're trying to mm-hmm. use a template or something to get your mortise just right, um, sometimes that can be off. You're totally right. And this is like not to turn this into a... Uh, uh, Bruso hardware commercial because it would be a great one if they paid for it, but they didn't. Well, I wasn't using Bruso hinges, so there we go. <laughs> well, there are other makers of quality hardware, uh, but that's like this the same thing with the grandfather clock. I'm like, well, there are other hinges that kind of have a look I'm going for, but I, I just want to use the Bruso stuff. They're just so thick. And if you, I mean, what would you rather inlay, like a flimsy potato chip or an actual thick, consistent thickness, you know, just beefy uh, piece of metal and, and, and yeah. put that, you know, inlay that into the wood. It's so, it just makes it easier. It makes the yeah. results better. Not to you- mention, like a really, really shallow mortise for a really skinny hinge. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get a lot of strength from that. Mm-hmm. You know, the strength of that hinge is because it's recessed into that mortise. And if you've got a, you know, an eight, three sixteenth inch thick leaf, that's a big deal. It's also yeah. a heck of a lot easier to cut a mortise that's three sixteenths of an inch deep than a sixteenth of an inch deep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no doubt about you don't it. even bother chopping. You just kind of look at it funny and it recessed. <laughs> right. So, um, but then I'm putting the lid on my blanket chest, putting the hinges in and all that stuff and getting it working properly. And um, I, I had an almost screw up. And I bring this up because uh, I think we're talking about screw ups later, right? And the, uh, the little uh, Email extra? Patreon extra. Yeah, 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 our Patreon extra. We're going to talk about screw ups. So sure. this was an almost screw up. I had the breadboards for the the lid and they were in place and they fit, fit nice. And I leave them purposely long and then cut them flush with the front and back of the lid later. And I'm got the holes for the drawboards drilled and I'm about ready to drive that drawboard peg in. And I literally have started tapping it in and there's a point where the drawbar peg starts to resist as it bends around that offset. And suddenly I was like, wait a minute, I haven't done the molding on the front edge of this lid yet. (laughs) And I'm thinking, (laughs) oh, oh man. And I quickly like had to wiggle the peg and get it out of there because I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hand sticking my, my moldings. So it's not like I can just cut it flush and then run a router because you, you know, you've got long grain into the ingrain of the breadboard. That breadboard ingrain is going to have, it will be cut flush, but then I'm actually going to trace the profile i will already have stuck the bullnose profile on the long grain and then trace the profile on the breadboard and then you use series of chisels and molding planes and stuff in order to shape that to to the uh final shape Mm -hmm. but i gotta have the molding stuck on the long edge first it's a little hard to do when you've got a breadboard stuck on there that's (laughs) sticking out by an inch so it was one of those like you know, I'm tapping it going, something's not right here. You know, tap, 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 tap. Wait, stop. You know, like trying to stop the mallet in mid swing. Uh, <laughs> Feel like uh, I'm forgetting something. Yeah, that was exactly <laughs> it. You know, there was some reason why I didn't want to do this right now. You know, you just get caught up. Draw boring to me is one of those like very satisfying moments because that peg just um, slides around there and it gets really, really tight. And you see the shoulders tighten up on your on your mortise. And it's like, 
you know, now suddenly you could drop a bomb on the thing and it won't come apart. So I'm just so anxious to drive the peg in. <laughs> Almost got in trouble on that one. Yeah. So there's, there's at my the same dodgeable. time, you can be like kind of hesitant because you know, like once you drive it in there, it's not coming apart. So you're like, no. uh, you better be better, sure about better it. Better be, better be sure this is exactly <laughs> right because there's no going back. Yeah. Right. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> so there, there we go. I got lucky. Cool. All right. Let's move into what's new. Got a, just a few things to share for you, uh, share with you here. Uh, this first one is by An- Andre Lap- Laptev. Really? I mean, why me, guys? Um, <laughs> podcast about, oh, oh hey, this was through email, and uh, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, but it sounded compelling. I just haven't had time. Uh, podcast about an Australian wood instructor named John Walton. I guess those of you in Australia probably know who this guy is. And it's a uh, audio podcast about this gentleman and his contributions to woodworking. I guess he's authored, um, you know, anyone who goes into woodworking or, uh, you know, I guess if you're in some sort of school program, this is like the book, the manual that they give you. Um, I guess it almost sounds like the way they were talking about it sounds like um, Tafe Ridd in terms of like when people talk about who, who do you think of when you think of like core woodworking instructor, just classic woodworking instructor. Woodwork theory oh. and practice. There by it is. John Walton. Oh shit. Yeah. It's got a copy right um, there. You guys know Jeremy Crewalt. Um, yes. Fan of the show. He yep. sent me a bunch of Australian woodworking books. Nice. And, uh, wow. there, this one, this one's really good. Yeah. It is kind of like Tay Fred. He's kind of that, um, Charles Hayward, Robert Waring kind of guy yeah. of the Australian world. So, so this is something if you go. want to learn more about the guy, uh, check that out. We'll put the link in the show notes for you. Stop reading, Shannon. We're doing a show. Sorry. I'm, I'm taking in the old book smell. <laughs> That's <laughs> just your armpits. Yeah, that must be it. Very smelly like so books. this uh, next one comes from Tommaso, mainly because I just like to say Tommaso. He, uh, what is it? This is uh, Mr. Mr. Chickadee. I think we've talked about this guy's YouTube channel before. Mr. Chickadee. He is like old school temple framer major, like make, makes me look like a power tool worker as this <laughs> guy knows. But um, he is this particular one. He's actually building a capstan, which that was one of those words that I was like, I think I should know what that is. But I had to Google it. I admit it. I had to Google what a capstan was. And then I looked at it and said, oh, I know what that is. It's essentially a windlass. Or um, like an upright winch that, you know, you put the peg in and you walk around in circles and it lifts things up. Well, he's actually later, he's got a video where he actually demonstrates that he built this big giant capstan in order to move like ginormous rocks. And it's kind of cool because I, I don't know if it's his wife or his girlfriend or whatever, but like she sticks the pole in the capstan and just starts walking around the thing and lifting this like thousand pound rock, like, you know, <laughs> a quarter mile away on the other side of their property, just through ropes and pulleys. So it was pretty cool. But um, this guy, all of his timber framing videos are just very kind of meditative. And that's actually what Tommaso said. Mm-hmm. He said, I came across this and found it to be oddly meditative. You know, he doesn't use his soundtrack is the birds chirping and the wind through the trees. Mm, I like it's very, that. very Vimeo-esque, uh-huh. but um, really cool techniques. Every time I watch this guy, I pick up something new. Um, his use of log dogs and um, securing these big beams and you know, cool uses of the carpenter square, all the stuff that like we have seven or eight jigs and mm-hmm. seven or eight tools and marking gauges for this guy just uses a carpenter square a framing square <laughs> for all of it. It's just awesome. very cool. This guy's the real deal. So nice. go check it out. It's very nice. Very cool. Very nice. Nicole hates it when I call her that, by the way, carpenter square. No upright wench. <laughs> upright wench. Oh, all right. <laughs> I was like, why would you call her carpenter square? Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay. Sorry. Uh, let's see. Last one we have here is um, 
little self-serving for me, but it's our yearly charity event. Woodworkers Fighting Cancer has. I don't think you could be self-serving. If you're <laughs> yeah, it's still okay. Though. It's a, okay. It's all right. I'm okay to do this. Uh, kicked off on Friday and we have the project out there. Free plans. If you want to build along, it's a simple plywood bookcase, something that uh, any kid would love. And you can kind of deck it out to be a castle or do other things to it. And uh, we're really, you know, proud of this thing Does that we do every year. Stand? So What's that? Do you, do you rotate the cap stand to raise and lower the drawbridge? Uh, yes. And speaking of having to look things up, I had to figure out for sure what the name of the little teeth on the top were and their crenellations. So there's all sorts of like parapet, battlement, like things associated with that part of a castle, but the actual teeth themselves are referred to as crenellations. Uh, so I, I did have to look that up because I just did not it's know called that. Like- Dental mold molding. Yeah, that's what I would have called yeah, it, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> the weird dental molding at the top of your castle. I'm sorry. So, uh, so yeah, it is kicked off. We have some awesome auctions, like real deal tools. Uh, I think we've got a couple of Powermatic tools that are in the mix. We've got some stuff from very super cool tools. We've got, uh, geez, I can't remember. But if you go to woodworkersfightingcancer.com, you can find out about the auctions. You can get the plans for the project if you want to build along. And remember, if you build one and send me a picture, we donate a dollar on your behalf. Half, and other companies will also be donating money on your behalf. So it's uh, just a fun little uh, way to raise funds for this year. Jesse Reese Foundation is who the money is going to. Uh, and that's an organization that actually you just you got to look into it. It's it's difficult to read this stuff uh, sometimes without tearing up, um, especially when it involves children. Um, but they do great things for kids who are currently battling uh, cancer and, and just kind of doing things to help cheer them on and uh, give them a better time something to distract them while they're going through this like horrible experience so uh definitely check it out woodworkersfightingcancer.com and let's get into our kickback so you guys remember we talked about the torrified wood last week i think it was Mm -hmm. last week right um so this is a kickback concerning that if i could find oh there it is hello skype here we go this is brian from knoxville tennessee i just had a little kickback on uh the uh, CMV11 uh, chisel handles and the torrified wood conversation from the other day. Um, I've got a number of PMV11 chisels, and I actually did split one using a uh, Glenn Drake type mark uh, hammer with one of the rounded ends. So uh, it does act quite a bit like, at least what they use in the uh, Veritas chisels, does act quite a bit like wood. Um, so it is possible to split. It's not uh, completely indestructible, as as you guys say. So anyway, I wanted to give people a uh, a uh, note just to watch out for that if they have those chisels. All right. Thanks. Have a good day, guys. Bye. It's interesting. Now, you think, Sh- Shannon, with something like that, I mean, granted, it goes through this process that does make it more durable, but it still started as wood, which means there is still grain, you know, and grain sure. direction. So if there is something that, like, maybe that's just really bad luck, because I've got, what What are the Lee Nielsen hornbeam um, that, that yeah. their handles are made mm-hmm. of? I have pounded the hell out of those things with the same Glen Drake <laughs> little hammers, those little tight mark yep. hammers, and they're dented, but they haven't even thought about splitting. So it makes me wonder yeah. if something like these these torrified woods, it still mm. came from wood. Maybe there was just a natural like fault line, if you will. Uh, yeah, I would I would send that back because that I don't know. That, right. I mean, they're, certainly they're not indestructible. Yeah. Um, if we said indestructible, I apologize because nothing's indestructible. Nothing. Except Can't for be. Shannon's logic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Can't wait that. But yeah, you're right, Mark. I've got those uh, Lee Nielsen chisels, and I've got a three-pound like steel head mallet that I use on them from time to time. Yeah. Um, what I got to wonder is, uh, uh, Brian, maybe you need to sharpen that chisel. 
Maybe, <laughs> if you're right? pounding on it that hard, man. Come on, man. Right, yeah. And I've actually got the ones I'm talking about. I don't have Lee Nielsen's bench chisels. I've got mortising chisels. So those things are getting, you know, I've been using them oh, on yeah. this project. They're going through uh, um, white oak, you know, which is not exactly the softest wood in the world. And, you know, I hit them pretty good, but they've never even well, looked like know, they've I wonder if it has, like, the Lee Nielsen chisels or socket. Um, and yeah. I wonder if the tang, but I know Veritas has, like, a, uh, a very special proprietary like tang and socket like combo type thing that they use. Okay. Um, no, I, I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine that it's a design thing. I just wonder if there was some sort of defect. Yeah. It sounds like a, just bad luck. Yeah. But it, you know, at the same time, the harder things are generally the more brittle they are. Right. So I suppose that could be a, a byproduct. Yeah. You know? Maybe interesting. I'd, I'd be curious to hear from anyone else. If uh, you've had issues with this, these torfied materials. Um, but I guarantee you Veritas would replace that for you in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Just knowing what I know about that. That's a personal Shannon guarantee right there. <laughs> and yep, if not, absolutely. Call Shannon will buy you a new Shannon one. told me you're going to give me a new chisel. <laughs> They'll send me the bill. more yeah. than likely. <laughs> I like that idea. You should have that policy for everything. Uh, all right, so let's get into our voicemail proper. We do have one, and it's a clarification on the uh, block plane accessories from last week. Hey, guys. So just listened to uh, your last episode and realized shortly before I listened to it, I described the wrong thing. I was talking about accessories for my block plane. Huh. Um, I actually learned it's a molding plane so you can really see how little hand tool stuff i do i called it the wrong thing so accessory wise i have a couple round over and what looks to be um possibly a crown something um and so i have three pieces that were my great grandfather's and i'm wondering what else would would kind of work well with those and give me some good output for a guy who really isn't going to go crazy on some, um, hardcore hand toolage. Uh, sorry for being such a goof and not knowing <laughs> what the heck I was talking about, but that's how we get better. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. I like that. It's true. I like it. I like that that's attitude. <laughs> so what do you, what do you guys think? Shannon, you have any thoughts on that? I don't even, I mean, I don't own a molding plane, so I can, can't add anything to this. I, I feel like, I feel like that voicemail just made it worse. Cause it is, I mean, again, it's still a plane. No idea right? what he's talking about. Well, again, spoilers, like fins. Are we talking about like a Stanley 45, like one of those multi-plane type dealies where it's got, you know, seven, eight different you know, types of blades with beading blades and, and roundover blades. I mean, you say molding planes and I think a dedicated profile. It's either a hollow round or it's a complex profile that has mm. an iron that goes into it that matches the profile on the sole. But if you've got – if he's talking about he's got s- several different blades and things like that, that, that to me sounds more like a Stanley number 45 or 55 Um you know, those multiplane deals that came in a big box and had mm-hmm. 15 different blades and seven different fences and all that stuff. In which case there are plenty of accessories. Um, I would recommend you go to like, um, um, what's his name? Patrick Leach's website, Patrick's blood and gore, whatever, where he's got the whole, um, the lineup of the Stanley planes from one to 999, whatever it is. Um, and look up those multiplanes, and you'll see all of the different blades and accessory fences 
they have accessory skates. Mm-hmm. So that the the little metal thing that the blade the plane runs on is called the skate. And if you have a really wide blade, you sometimes need a second skate to provide um, another reference surface for that blade. So there are several accessories there. There are different fences. There's angled fences. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, but and, and you know, hand plane or hand tool terminology and stuff is kind of ridiculous to begin with but i would call that more of a plow plane than a molding plane that's as Mm. like semantics as i'm going to get with you there so don't don't worry about (laughs) calling it the wrong thing but i (laughs) would bet it's probably one of those multi-plane things and um between you and me it's a glorified plow plane and i don't really use the little molding cutters or any of that stuff i just find that uh it does a good job cutting grooves and not a very good job doing anything else well, I can't wait till he calls back next week and lets us know he found the cord and it's actually a power planer. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> actually a router. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I just, just found this little, little piece of paper next to it from Matt Vanderlist that said router bit of the month. Right. right there you go. It sounds like he has a good sense of humor, so hopefully he doesn't mind us yes. making fun of him a little bit. But, uh, you know, that's the, that's the thing. Hey, I spent a lot of money on a eBay purchase buying my first Lee Nielsen hand plane. And I was so excited because it was, you know, the most awesome purchase and it was, it was actually relatively cheap. And, you know, back, I'm sure it's still very competitive now, but uh, back then the minute a Lee Nielsen thing hit eBay, like it was gone. Right. And it turns out that it was a, um, just, I just lost my train of thought. A, uh, the uh, very, very rough plane. You know, what what? scrub plane. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I just lost that. Because I don't ever use it. Um, because you never use it. So it, it arrived, <laughs> and I'm like, "What is this thing? Like, what am I supposed to do with this?" And <laughs> I, I get on the phone and say, "Hey, my blade was curved." Yeah, there's you jerks. this curve, and this plane is really narrow. And I mean, there was a picture, but I didn't know anything about it. But I spent the money, <laughs> and I was so excited about my new new uh, Lee Nielsen tool that I just never used. So yeah, we've all been there. It's part of the fun learning curve, expensive learning curve sometimes. Yeah, no doubt. All right, <laughs> let's get into our emails. Uh, these are from our patrons. I don't know if you guys know that. We take questions now from the Patreon page. Uh, we, you know, we should probably make a, a firm decision about that because I don't want people to keep sending questions in on our website if we're not actually going to take them from there. <laughs> but let's uh, let's talk about that afterwards, guys. I reserve the right to say these are dumb questions than pull them from the main part. That's true. It's nice to have that there, isn't it? Yeah, not that there's I usually any go to the Patreon questions first. That's what I do. Yeah, and if there's nothing I, feel like, nothing I feel yeah. like answering, then you go back to the other one. Uh, all right, so first one comes in from Matt Kummel, and he says, Most of my mistakes come from rushing. Time in the shop can be limited, so I want to get as much done as possible, and that's when I do something stupid. Mismeasuring and the cutting of something wrong, cutting an angle the wrong way. Heck, if there's a way to F something up in a hurry, I've probably done it. Have you guys gone through this? Beyond the obvious, simple, don't rush. Are there any other tips and tricks you guys have learned? Uh, now, this is probably going to be a combination of things that if you've listened to this show long enough, you probably have heard me say at different times, um, but I think it bears repeating. So for me, uh, what I usually do, first of all, is I go off of lists. And if I just find that when I'm in the office or at the kitchen table, if I'm trying to plan out a, a day-to-day thing for a project... I find that I'm much more clear headed there. 
and things that I think I can accomplish, I have a much um, more accurate perspective of how long something will take than if I'm in the shop and just kind of just, I know I'm at this point in the project, let me just start working and see where I get. So I like to plan things out and and print out a calendar day to day and I mark down, today I'm I'm fitting the tenons, tomorrow I'm actually cutting these grooves. And this way I kind of know what my goal is for the day. And if I know what that goal is, maybe, you know, if I only have four hours, then I set the goal to be appropriate for the time that I have so that I don't have to rush. So that I think sets the stage for a situation where I don't feel like I'm I'm, uh, rushing to get to the finish line because today's finish line is right here. I know how to get there and I'll get there in that time frame. If you don't set a goal for the day, you don't know where the finish line is because you haven't actually said that there was one. So you're just kind of like, oh, I know I got to go take the kids to, you know, swim class or whatever dumb thing we're taking our kids to. Um, you know, so you're, you're rushing out and trying to get this stuff done. And you're just, again, you got to set that goal and make sure it's a realistic one. The other thing is, and this goes back to safety advice, um, that, that I can't remember who, who said this before, but I thought it was really super smart, but so simple is that when you're working on something, don't think about the next thing. How many times you have four or five parts to cut at the table saw all with the same setting and you just start pushing the stuff through, right? And what do you start to do? Your mind goes like, yeah, you've got your eyes on what you're doing. You're, you're being safe, but you're thinking about what your next step is. And while you do that, that's that moment of inattention that can lead to an accident. And that's, I would say every time I've made just a stupid mistake, it's because I was thinking about something else while I was doing it. So I think that's an important thing. Like that goes to the simple don't rush kind of advice, but I think this is more in depth, you know, if you constantly tell yourself and, and monitor yourself, if you start thinking about something else like the next step or maybe something not related to woodworking, bring yourself back, you know, pull it back in and start thinking about and focusing on that specific task. And you'd be surprised at how much more attention you pay and how many fewer mistakes you're going to make because you are focused. So that that's the kind of stuff that works for me. Hopefully that works. good. I like that for you. I like that. Don't think ahead. Live in the moment, people. Live in the moment. Yes. Focus. Car- carpe saw cut. That's right. <laughs> yes. And it's, and again, good safety advice too, because that's that I, I found myself almost making mistakes and going, darn it. Like as it happened, I'm like, you know what? I was thinking about where these pieces are going next instead of focusing on where my push stick was, you know, so you could definitely save yourself oh, a lot of yeah. headache. This is actually an area where I think that as a content producer, it's really helped a lot because I kind of have to script things out a little bit more. I have to think through all of my builds, which is exactly what you're talking about with building lists and, you know, which part goes where and which clip goes where and what angle do I need? So I end up almost like a, you know, like a a guy at top gun, you know, (laughs) if I come in at this angle with this plane and come up behind this guy, I'm like actually (laughs) pantomiming my way through stuff. Right. Sometimes, you know, I need to make this cut here and, you know, but whether, whether you're filming it or not, there is that element of, um, kind of where do, where do I need to hold the board? And if I make this cut first, what's it going to do to my next cut? Now I'm thinking ahead there, but, um, before you actually start cutting, you've kind of, for lack of a better term, choreographed out your steps. Yeah. So, you know, when to twist and when to kick and, but the negative to, to that. And again, I don't want to go too deep into the content producing stuff, but that's just another thing to distract us too. Cause if you're not worried about the quality of your cut, you're worried about, are you getting the shot right? Is it in focus? Do you have the lighting? <laughs> I mean, those are things that very specifically for content producers can be an additional problem to worry about. The shot is worth way more than the project. That's the weird <laughs> thing, right? It's, uh, you got to yeah. admit it, but yeah, it's totally true. Yeah. Uh, all right. Who's next? Matt, you're up. You didn't drink your water. How am I supposed to know you're done? Oh, hold on. 
Okay, go now. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> You're good. Uh, Speaking of thinking about the next step, Matt's just focused. He's looking for the cup. Unlike Wait, in the shop, no. when, we do, when we do wood talk, you should always be thinking about the next step. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is from Jack Evans. He says, my family didn't know what to think about my woodworking hobby at first until I had some finished product. Now I get the occasional request, which isn't always part of my schedule. I also get family members who think items should be cheaper than if bought from the store. So I have to explain to them about lumber prices. Do you three amigos get a lot of could you make requests from family or friends that are hard to answer? And how do you manage expectations with them? Uh, yeah, I, I did get this a lot when I was kind of doing it as a hobby. And honestly, I didn't do a whole lot of commission work because people just couldn't really afford it once I kind of laid it out to them what it would cost. And then I learned a very valuable lesson that if they're actually my friends and family, they probably care about what I'm doing. So I started sharing more about the process of my builds. So people kind of had an understanding of what went into something I made so that when they asked me to make something, they kind of had a little more of a, a realistic expectation of how much of my time they're going to be using, how much material is going to cost, things like that. Um, probably the most valuable thing that I have to combat this is my wife because she is super blunt about it and just like tells people they can't afford me, which is <laughs> kind of handy to have. That's awesome, so, man. So, so if uh, her friends or family, like or, or whoever's friends or family, she's around and she's part of that conversation, she just kind of steps in and just kind of, uh, you know, like it's pretty, it's it's polite, you know, politely but forcefully tells them like what it would probably cost and that you know my time has value to it and the things that I use to make those things have value as well. So. She's really good at that. Like you can't handle like, really the really mat. Really <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's almost ridiculous. But I, th- I think just like having the expectation out there of like how much things take as far as your time goes. Um, you know, social media is a big thing these days. So if you're posting on social media every now and then about something you're working on, um, how much time something spent, how much time you spent on something, just to give your friends and family an idea of how long these things actually take. Because honestly, if they have no idea what goes into making one of these things, they don't know the thing. Everything takes like 10 minutes to make, but most of the time it doesn't, you know? Yeah. Now I think this is kind of the same thing as you're getting into the craft for pay, you know, on a pro level. And you have the same challenge of dealing with people who want something custom, but you have to explain to them why, what, what you're making costs so much money. And whether it's friends or family or, or strangers, you, you sort of have to do the same thing, maybe a little more gently uh, mm. with your own family. Um, <laughs> but I, I still do get these once in a while. But I, I'll tell you, the more you turn things down, the easier it gets because you get fewer and fewer requests, uh, You know, especially when – Especially when they realize that part of what you do for a living is content production, they start to realize you're probably busy doing other things than just building furniture that you can't necessarily fit these, you know, little one-off things into your schedule. Um, so don't bother asking is what it uh-huh. usually comes down to. <laughs> yeah, that's the st- that's the point of view my wife takes now. Just don't even bother. Just go out and buy it. Yeah. Well, that's, see, and that, Nicole does the same thing in defending me, Matt, except for she usually goes – I'm still waiting for this, this, and this. So if you want something, it'll have to come after those three things. So it makes it a lot yeah, easier. It's kind of a similar thing here. Yeah. Right. She, she knows. There you go. Good stuff. Nice. 
Well, this one comes from Jared, and uh, I started out by saying this is an oil stone for water stone uh, in the opening of this, but it's a little bit deeper than that. He says, I was wondering if oil stones would be good for a shop with no running water. I have water stones now, but the wife doesn't like the lapping in the sink all the time, and I read that oil stones don't need to be lapped as often. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. So what we're really talking about here is he needs something that's clean. You know, he doesn't have running water in the shop. Um, I don't have running water in my shop. Um, one of the things that I do is actually have a little bucket that's filled with water because I do have a laundry sink um, through a couple of doors and, you know, about halfway across the house. So it's not too far. I'll fill that bucket with water. And, um, you know, as I'm lapping with the um, the lapping plate, I'll then just kind of reach over onto the floor, dunk the whole lapping plate in there. I'll do the same thing with the stones, just kind of clean off any crap and avoid any of the cross-contamination between grits. And that works out really well. Um, you know, I just have to make sure I empty that bucket from time to time because it gets kind of nasty. A stank so, bucket. Um, yeah, just kind of remember to, to, to dump it out, you know, at the end of the shop day or every couple of days. Um, but his question really comes down to, well, you know, would oil stones be be better because I don't have to flat them as mu- flatten them as much? And I question... Forgetting about the abrasive qualities and all that stuff about oil stones and water stones, you're using oil now. To me, that just ends up being messier. Yeah, that's um, gross. I, I use oil stones at the museum because that's what we have and it's all period authentic and all that stuff. And man, stuff just gets everywhere, everywhere. And, and maybe I'm just sloppy. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'm using too much oil on this stuff. But I just feel like I, I, I walk out of the shop smelling like Blistol because it's the stuff we're using. Um, and I, I don't know. It just doesn't. It just doesn't seem worth the extra mess for me. Now, nowadays, I've actually moved to diamond stones almost entirely, and I never have to lap those things. They stay perfectly flat. So if you're looking for something that's going to be easier because you don't have to flatten them as much, diamond stones might be a good solution, but you're still going to have to use something. I happen to use Windex on my diamond stones. That works really well, Um, and uh, supposedly because it's not, it won't rust my tools as much. Not Hmm. that I... I'm going to be going straight from the Windex drippy tool over to the project. I'm still wiping them down, but um, that's one thing. The other thing is get yourself a strop. Strop is completely dry. You can keep it on your bench. It doesn't generate any kind of swarf or any of that stuff. And you can just keep touching up your blades, your edges, using that leather strop or wooden strop, whatever it is. All you have is that um, compound that's charged the strop with to keep the uh, keep the edge nice and sharp. So it may be that using something like a strop can extend the amount of time that you actually have to go and lap your your water stones. Um, I'm just hesitant to tell anybody, well, it's dirty. Throw everything out and go buy an entirely new sharpening system. You know, he's already got water stones, so uh, I'd say stick with it. Stupid phone thing. I got to fix that. Happens like every show now. <laughs> I get a phone call. Uh, so popular. I know. What are you going to do? Um, well, good stuff. All right. Uh, where the heck are we? Lost my train of thought. I think we're at the end of the show, actually, now that we I are think at about the end it. of the show. Uh, if you guys want to support us, you can. You could set up a recurring donation over at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodtalk. And if you go for the $4 level or higher, you actually will get access to our weekly email extra where we pick an email directly out of the uh, questions that were given to us this week and we answer it as a whole separate little file. And you could subscribe to the RSS feed, uh, which uh, means the file comes to you. You don't have to seek it out, which is pretty darn cool. Uh, you could also buy a t-shirt that says Wood Talk on it. And we actually have Wood Talk stickers now, too, that go out to some of the patrons. I'm not sure if they go with the t-shirts. I'll have to tell my mom to start putting those in there. Uh, but you can find that at TWW Store. 
iTunes.com. And if you want to, something that costs you nothing but a couple of minutes of your time is to go into iTunes and leave us a review. Just look us up, give us a five-star rating, and I don't have one to read today because I'm being lazy. And uh, Shannon, why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. I want my Wood Talk sticker. You don't get one. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a patron. If you self uh, send a self-stamped addressed, whatever you, however you say that, self-addressed stamped envelope to <laughs> P.O. Box, yeah, I'll send you guys some stickers. Yo, box wood talk. I got envelopes. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. A whole box. <laughs> wow. You're fancy. All right. If you have comments, <laughs> questions, or topic suggestions, send them to Matt. He'll send you a sticker. Mm-hmm. Um, you can <laughs> leave stickers. a voicemail on Skype. Our wood talk, our wood talk, our wood talk name is Wood Talk Online. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 or use our contact form. Or maybe not, because we may not answer it apparently. To decide anymore. about that. Woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Use it now. I, I I'm gonna fight for you guys. If you want to leave a comment there, I'm gonna fight for you. I'm a man of the people. I will answer them. It just maybe take six months, but we'll get there. Yes. Um or you can just go to woodtalkshow.com, leave us a comment on our website or our Facebook page, leave us a comment there, or just become a a, a patron, man. All the cool kids are doing it. You wanna be cool, don't you? Yeah, you do. Just do it. Not sure I do. All right. All right. Well, then go to the woodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, <laughs> or macromona.com, and there's cool stuff you can buy there, too. Good deal. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See Toodles. you. Bye.